Well, today we are finishing our series in the book of Ruth. We are going to be looking at Ruth chapter 4. And it may not seem like it, but this is a beautiful beginning to Advent season. Because we are going to look at the genealogy of Jesus as is put forward in Matthew. But before it's put forward in Matthew, we see it in the book of Ruth. Well, I'm going to share with you a story that I'm allowed to share uh, so that you are aware. I'm, I, I've asked to share this, this story because it's part of my family history. It's part of my life story and what God has done in my life. Uh, but there was a time in my life when my parents got divorced and my mom walked away from Jesus and uh, she was just doing all kinds of different rebellious things. She was not walking with the Lord. She had pushed away family. She had pushed away Jesus. She had pushed away church. And even as a young lad, <laughs> I looked at that and I thought, this is irredeemable. My mom could never be redeemed. All the things that she has done, all the things that she has thrown away, she has wandered away from the truth of Jesus. She has wandered into the arms of other men. She has walked away from God. This is not redeemable. Yet, one beautiful day at Tacoa Falls College, my mom was visiting my sister, and the chapel speaker was talking about redemption. The chapel speaker was used by the Holy Spirit of God to convince and convict my mom in that moment that the way in which she was living was not the way she was supposed to be living. And in that moment, she rededicated her life to Christ and the Holy Spirit just totally transformed her life. And now she's walking with the Lord and is married to a man who is walking with the Lord who loves Jesus and loves my mom. There is redemption. And the highlight of this story, when we come to the end, it is packed with the idea of redemption. It is the beauty of the story of Boaz and Ruth is not just romantic, it's redemptive. And one of the things that my mom's story and the story of Ruth tells me is that no one is beyond redemption. No one. Not one person is beyond redemption. We can all be redeemed. And we're going to look at the story of Ruth to see how that's possible. The end. Remember last week we were on the edge of our seat wondering what's going to happen. Will Boaz be able to redeem Ruth and Naomi? Or will the other kinsmen, redeemer, swoop in and take all the glory? What is going to happen? And we come to the conclusion of this. I think one of the things that can hinder us in our walk of faith is that we can look at other people, we can look at our situation, we can look at our sins, we can look at the sins of others and the way people are living their lives and maybe not functionally believe out loud that people are irredeemable, but we treat people as irredeemable. We treat our situations as irredeemable. And this idea of no one is beyond redemption, we might be able to assent to with our mouth. But we don't always really believe it because we look at others and say, how could those people have redemption? This story shows us how. And I believe that we'll see what Ruth 4 teaches us about full redemption. We're going to see four aspects from Ruth 4 on how we can see and experience and live into and receive full redemption. 
So if you have your Bible with you, we will read the entirety of the chapter as it's important to capture the full picture of what is being stated here in the Scripture as it is basically one scene. Ruth chapter 4, this is the word of the Lord. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he, that's Boaz, took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he, that's Boaz, said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, that's the man, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nishan. Nishan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Man, this is cool. When you look at this story in its fullness, 
we see the reality of redemption over and over and over again. From Act 1 to Act 4, we see God working. We see God moving. We see God redeeming. And I think the first thing that we can see from Ruth 4 about the idea of full redemption is this, that redemption is available through a price sacrificially paid. Redemption is available through a price sacrificially paid. Now when you look at this scenario with Boaz and the other kinsman redeemer, some of it can be a little bit confusing. And so I want to break it down for you to understand, to capture what's happening in this scenario. Here, when they take the land of Naomi that she is selling, the kinsman redeemer then has to sacrifice their own inheritance, has to sacrifice the furtherance of their own name for the sake of the name of Elimelech. Naomi's husband now will have the name passed forward through the generations that they will have together, Ruth and this kinsman redeemer. And so when the, the kinsman redeemer is approached, all Boaz does, Boaz is really cool, by the way, because he opens up this scenario about this beautiful land and this wonderful land of Naomi that she's selling of Elimelech. And he's like, that sounds like a really great deal, Boaz. I'll take it. And then Boaz is like, well, there's just a little hang up for you, buddy. Because if you take this land... Not only will you have to ha have a Moabite, <laughs> you notice how he says it, Ruth the Moabite. Remember how we've talked about Moabitess as not being really nice people to Israel and Israel not liking them. We'll get to that in a moment. But he says, then you'll have to perpetrate the name of the dead. Basically, if you do this, everything changes in your life, buddy. And the guy, he doesn't even think about it for very long. He's like... I don't want to do that. No way. You take it. If you want to ruin your whole future, go ahead, buddy. I'm not going to do it. But here, Boaz was so ready to pay this price that he took his shoe off immediately. Now you're like, why would you take your shoe off? That's kind of a weird moment, right? Buy it. Yes. Right? It's almost like Chad's shoe phone a couple weeks ago. Right? If you remember, it was great. It was classic. But he takes his shoe off immediately, which is a sign of the transaction, saying, this sandal is now evidence of my payment. This contract that we've just made, this sandal is proof of it. And there are witnesses who will also prove it. And we'll talk a moment about the Hebrew word witness as we get to the next point. But this was a sacrificial payment. Boaz was releasing a ton of future inheritance in his life. He would now have to perpetrate the name of the dead. His identity as a man would change. Now the beautiful thing is that his name is not erased from the history books as it might have been had they followed the proper custom and it would have been erased instead of Limelech. Now, it's interesting how that transpires, but God wanted us to remember the wonderful nature of the man who was Boaz. Which, if you know your Israelic history and you've read the genealogy in Matthew, which all of you as really good Christians have read every Christmas, every year, and so you know it and you know all the names, right? <laughs> You're like, I didn't even know the genealogy was in Matthew. Right? But in the, in the genealogy of Matthew, we see that Boaz's mom 
was Rahab the prostitute. What? Rahab the prostitute who helped the Israelites get safe out of Jericho, who let the spies down, who asked the Israelites, please spare me. She was, remember, if you know the story, we talked about it months ago, that she was kind of the harem person. She was in charge of all the prostitutes in Jericho. But God brought her redemption, and now she had a son named Boaz, and Boaz marries Ruth. There was sacrifice that happened. You would think that after being born of a prostitute, he would try to do everything he could to perpetrate the name of his own father, of his own life, to show that he really is an Israelite of all Israelites. But he doesn't do that. He does not care about the cost. Warren Wearsby says this, The key theme of this chapter is redemption. The words redeem, buy, and purchase are used at least 15 times. And one of the things that he reminds us of is that there can be no redemption without paying a price. There can be no redemption without paying the price. One of the most beautiful things about the Old Testament and the entirety of Scripture is that it points to Jesus Christ. This idea of the sacrificial payment paid for redemption is an image, is a picture, is a foreshadowing of the price that Jesus Christ himself would pay for our redemption. When you look at the Old Testament, you can't just look at it as that time and that day. It's important to say, what did it say? But then you have to ask the question, what does it mean? Because all the Old Testament, the sacrificial system in Leviticus, the, the redemption that of, of salvation out of Exodus by Moses. Moses was an image of Jesus. Joshua was an image of Jesus. The judges that were good were images of Jesus. All throughout Scripture, Boaz is also an image, a picture of Jesus himself. He paid the sacrificial price for the redemption of Naomi, Elimelech, and Ruth. Warren Wiersbe will continue. When it comes to spiritual redemption, all people are in bondage to sin and Satan and are unable to set themselves free. Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom for sinners and faith in him sets the captive free. When you dig into the Hebrew word for redeem here, it's ga'al. And it means this, act as a kinsman, do the part of the next of kin or kinsman in redeeming from bondage. Now that's a key passage of understanding of the word ga'al in this particular story. Because if you were to remember the last three scenes that we've seen in Naomi and Ruth's life, they are in bondage because they have no future hope. Now, we see the hope beginning in Naomi as we talked about the hope of redemption that we talked about last week. There's a hope that's building. But if you were to look at it from the onset, just looking at the story, they have no future. They have no prospects. She's a Moabite. Naomi's lost all things. She allowed her husband or her, her children to marry a Moabite. She allowed her husband and herself to move to Moab. This is not a good picture. There is no real hope of redemption. And so when this, this passage is used for the word redeem or restore, it's using the Hebrew word ga'al in not just the sense of kinsman redeemer. That's not strong enough. It's talking about the redemption out of bondage. 
And that's where we continue to look and see that Ruth and Naomi could never, ever, ever, ever get themselves out of the bondage that they found themselves in. They needed a redeemer. Now, again, this is a picture of you and me. Because Christ's blood was the price paid for our redemption. Christ's blood was the price paid for our redemption. I don't care how smart you are, how awesome you are, if you have more degrees than Fahrenheit in your life, how wise you are, how young you are, how old you are, you and I, we are sinners without Jesus Christ. Without hope, without Jesus Christ. You and I, we come to this world naked with nothing. We could never offer God anything that would take us out of the sin nature of our lives. We can never and will never redeem ourselves. We, like Naomi and Ruth and Elimelech, we need a Redeemer. And my friends, Jesus is that Redeemer. Jesus paid the sacrificial price to redeem you, to buy you back out of bondage and into freedom. This is the beautiful story that we see in Ruth's life. We continue as we see the second thing that Ruth 4 teaches us about full redemption. And that's, the, that's this, that the redeemed are the evidence of redemption. The redeemed are the evidence of redemption. If you look at the story of Ruth, I've mentioned this often. When you look at the story of Ruth, the author continuously uses the literary trick of repetition. He will continue to write Moabite, Moabitess. And he continues in this passage, like we've seen, to mention redemption. But he also uses the word witness several times. And the word witness in Hebrew is ayed. And it means witness, testimony, evidence of things. And looking at this definition as well as Bloch's commentary, we quickly come to the place of understanding that not only is the sandal an act of evidence, but the people who experienced and saw the redemption and Boaz and Ruth themselves are witnesses to what transpired in that transaction of redemption. When they walk together arm in arm, their marriage is evidence of the redemption of Naomi's line, of Elimelech's line. They're evidence of the beauty of redemption. And they knew, he said in chapter 3, that they knew that Ruth was a worthy woman. And here, the Israelite women, listen to what they say about Ruth. You are worth more than seven sons. Now, a son, one son, was so important to the family. And here, Ruth has gone from Moabitess to more important than seven sons. The full picture of her life is evidence of the beauty of God's redemption. And when you and I are redeemed, our lives are evidence of God's redemption. Listen to what Bloch says. He says, In the future of his claims to the rights of Elimelech's land or his claim to Ruth are ever questioned. If it's ever questioned, not only will he be able to produce the sandal, but he also will appeal to his, this host of witnesses that has observed him gain this right through legal process. 
They are witnesses. I ed. You and I, as we live our lives, our lives should show and display as evidence the redemption of Christ. Because our lives should give testimony that we've been redeemed by Christ. You see, this is so important for us to grasp. When Naomi and Ruth moved into Boaz's family, there was no doubt about what transpired that day. When she had a child, the entirety of the wives and women of Israel cheered. They cheered so much that they named the child. Now, how about that? You go into the village and maybe you bring your baby to church and you say, Hey, ladies, I want you to name my baby. That doesn't happen. Right? But they were so overjoyed that as soon as the baby came, they just said his name. They said, this is his name. This has to be the name of this child. They were so excited and so happy for what had transpired in the lives of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And their lives were evidence of the goodness of God. And that brings me to the question of as believers, when you fully grasp the beauty of redemption, does your life tell the story of one redeemed? I want you to really think about that. Because you are the greatest witness on this earth, filled with the Holy Spirit, having a testimony of redemption. You are the greatest witness to this world. Does your life reflect the redemption that you have received? Because I'm sure Naomi and Ruth were cheering and excited and had glowing faces on their redemption. And we know that Naomi felt that passion and excitement when she held Obed in her arms. It was all over her face and all over her life. Our lives should be a testimony that we've been redeemed by Christ. I believe the third thing that Ruth 4 teaches us about full redemption is that Moabites can become monarchs. Moabites can become monarchs. Now this is super, super awesome in this story of Ruth. Not only did a prostitute come into the line of Jesus and King David, but so did a Moabitess. Moabites, as we have shared before, especially in chapter 1, they were unloved, unliked, undesired. They were pretty much pushed away as the trash of the world when it came to their people group. But here, Ruth is transformed. You might not capture the literary trick that the author is doing in this passage, but check it out. Throughout the entire book, he has called her what? Ruth the Moabite. Even when we were having a conversation with the kinsman redeemer, Boaz himself called her Ruth the Moabite. But now she's just Ruth. Boaz took Ruth to be his wife. Now that might not seem significant, but let me tell you that is significant. The author points to her name being changed. You're like, well, it's Ruth. It's still Ruth. 
but he's not attaching the Moabite, which means that the author himself, who wrote the word of God by being pushed and urged on along by the Spirit, is saying that Ruth is no longer a Moabite. She is now an Israelite. That is powerful. That is so incredible, which is the same truth when you and I come to Christ, we are no longer Marvin the sinner. We are now Marvin or whatever your name is, I like my name, the redeemed. We're different. We're new. We are no longer outside of the family of God, but we are now inside the family of God. God is amazing. And incredible how he uses just literary things, tricks of the words in the scriptures. The Hebrew beauty of this passage, of this book, is outside of anything we could imagine. And just that little change shifts the focus of who Ruth is. The same truth is for you and I. We are grafted into the beauty of God's family. Block shares with us just how hated Moabites were and why. He said that disposition seems to have been colored by five factors in their history. This is how hated Moabites were. The Moabites' contemptible origins, how they came about. The Moabites' resistance to Israel, Israel's passage through their territory when they came from Egypt. The Moabite women's seduction of the Israelites. Israel's constitutional exclusion of Moab from the assembly of the Lord. And the recent oppression of the Israelites by Eglon, the king of Moab. During this time, Eglon was actually persecuting Israelites. So to be a Moabite at that specific time was absolutely unacceptable. Yet, yet, a Moabite became a monarch because she was a Moabite, her child would have Moabite blood, and his child would have Moabite blood, who was then his great-grandfather, his great-grandson, her great-grandson, would have Moabite blood. King David sat upon the throne with Moabite blood within him. But God had said, their family, that blood is redeemed. The price has been paid. They are now ours. Monarch out of a Moabite. Moabites were the trash of the Israelites, yet Ruth marries Boaz. The world's trash, my friends, is the Lord's treasure. The world's trash is the Lord's treasure, and I put quotation marks. Because many times you and I, we might feel irredeemable. You might feel like in the story of my mom, so far gone, that it might not be possible to come back. You might have people in your life who you feel are irredeemable. Well, they've gone so far. They've walked so far away. They, they, they could never be redeemed. It could never turn out okay. It can never change. But with God, all things are possible. You see, what, what ended up happening in that the enemy wanted for evil in my family's life turned out to be good. Because not only did my mom come back to the Lord, but God used that story in my life, in my brother's life, and in my sister's life, 
where we are all serving the King of Kings in our lives. My brother is an ordained minister who was an alliance pastor. Now he's a chaplain in the military on a base in Alabama. My sister is a Christian counselor who seeks to lead people to Jesus as she counsels them. And God has blessed me with the ability to be your pastor. The story of my mom is one of those things that will always convince and convict me that God is real. That there is no irredeemable person. That God can and will redeem all things, all people. And so if you've never actually came to the, the saving faith of Jesus in your life, I want you to know it doesn't matter where you've been. You are redeemable. Jesus desires your heart and your life. He desires for you to come to a saving knowledge of who he is because the price has already been paid for your redemption. And if you've walked away from the faith or you're wandering away from the Lord, then the price has been paid. You don't have to walk in that identity. You don't have to walk in that space. God still loves you and desires for you to return. Because in God's kingdom, there is no trash. When we come to a saving knowledge of Him, we are His children. And every one of us is redeemable. Let me share with you another thing that, that Warren Wiersbe says. He says, what wonderful change, what wonderful changes came into Ruth's life because she trusted Boaz and let him work on her behalf. She went from loneliness to love, from toil to rest, from poverty to wealth, from worry to assurance, from despair to hope. She was no longer Ruth the Moabitess, for the past was gone, and she was making a new beginning. She was now Ruth, the wife of Boaz, a name she was proud to bear. Now the genealogy of David is also the genealogy of of Christ. Ruth the Moabitess is part of the genealogy and the bloodline of Jesus. Boaz, whose mom was a prostitute, is also part of the genealogy and the lineage of Jesus. Jesus, the king of all kings, allowed tainted, trashy blood in his line. There is no irredeemable person. Christ's blood, Christ's sacrifice, Christ's death is more than enough to cover all of your sin. Will we turn to him and allow him to redeem us? Will we say, yes, I want to live a redeemed life. I want to walk in the redemption that is for me. You see, the Lord redeemed my mom. And after that transpired, the Lord encouraged me to share with her that I believe that she was now Naomi. She had walked in so much bitterness. She had walked in so much pain. She had walked in so much rejection of the Lord and felt rejected by the body of Christ. But now she was walking back with the Lord. And I said, Mom, you are like Naomi who went from Naomi to Mara back to Naomi. Because my mom's a very pleasant person. She loves to sing. She's happy. She loves the Lord. But there was a time where she was Mara. And this is so impactful in my life. My daughter's middle name is Naomi. 
Amelia Naomi Nelson. Because this story has so impacted my life and our story of our family's life. God is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. Amen? The fourth thing that we see is that our redeemer desires us for himself. Boaz redeemed Ruth because he loved her. He redeemed her not just from the burden that she was in, but he redeemed her for himself. She was his wife. She was loved by Boaz. It wasn't just a transaction. It wasn't just a, yeah, I'll save you from that. Come on. Whatever. No. Remember what he said in Ruth 3. I am blessed that you, you would choose me. That was an audacious thing to say. He was throwing it all out on the table. He's like, yeah, I want to marry you. And they did because he desired not just to redeem her from that pain and from that past and from that tra tragedy and from that bondage, but for himself. One of the things I think that we often forget when it comes to talking about our redemption is that we're not just redeemed from hell. We're not just redeemed from something. We are redeemed to someone. Because he loves us. It is not just something that we get out of hell for. And when we walk in that belief that it's just, oh, I'm, I'm a free bird from hell now. Now, we don't understand the deep intimacy that God desires to have with us. You know, when we come to that place of saying, yes, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, which I hope the Holy Spirit is knocking on some of your hearts. When that happens, it's not just a call to say, okay, Jesus, I say this prayer and that's it. It's saying, I want to give all of my life to you. I want to surrender all things and follow you with all of my heart. It is a contract of marriage just like Boaz and Ruth. It is saying, I want to walk away from this world and this life and enter into this marriage, into this covenant. A.B. A. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, he has an extensive point on this, and I want to read it because it's very impactful. He said, but the best of all the blessings brought by the kinsman redeemer is himself. Not only does he redeem the inheritance, but he purchases the bride and becomes her bridegroom. When Boaz bought the inheritance of Elimelech, he took Ruth also in, and she became his bride. And so our blessed kinsman redeemer is also our husband. Not only does he come down into our nature in the incarnation, but he takes us up into his person in that wondrous betrothal, which is to reach its consummation in the marriage of the Lamb. What a beautiful reminder. As we look at the advent of Christ, the incarnation of Jesus into this time as we celebrate the hope that that brings for our redemption, we must remember it wasn't just an escape from hell. It was a loving, passionate move to say, I want you to be my bride. I paid the price. It's already done. Will you turn to me? Will you allow me to be your kinsman redeemer? 
And the question is in the air for you. Will you allow him to be your kinsman redeemer? Christmas proves his desire. And the cross made the way. Christmas proves God's desire for you. And the cross made the way. May we resolve to live lives of evidence to our redemption and seek to dwell in the presence of our Redeemer. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, I want you to pray with me before we close this service. And I, I'm not always one of those guys that's like, hey, raise your hand, and so I can be like, oh, I see that hand, I see that hand. But I want you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. And I want you to pray with me and I want you to recognize that it's a marriage contract. It's not just, hey, I want to get out of hell. It is, I want to live my life for the king. I want the redeemer just as much as he wants me. And then after we pray that prayer, tell someone. Because I believe there's at least one person in here that needs to hear this message, that needs to turn to their redeemer. Let's pray. If this is your time to receive the Redeemer, pray this with me. In your heart or aloud, it's up to you. Jesus, I know that I have wandered. I know that I have a sin nature that I was born into. I know now also that I cannot redeem myself. Jesus, you came to be my Redeemer to bring about my redemption from the bondage of Satan, sin, and death. And you redeemed me also for yourself. I believe that you have come, died, and rose again for me. I repent and confess of all of my sins. And I want you to be my Lord, my King, and my Redeemer. 